you know, it, it was interesting because it's so, so that period, you know, was extremely euphoric and and there was a real I think looking back on it now, people take for granted those events, you know, that 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 day of the 27th of April. But there was nothing in the preceding years that indicated it was going to be a done deal. And I think, you know, we forget that. Uh, I think looking back now, South Africa certainly has challenges. You know, there's there's no question um, now in the economic and the political and, you know, just at many different levels. But I think um, the the advantage of time and being able to reflect on that is realizing what is possible. If, if that could be achieved, then really anything, you know, regardless of the kind of crisis we're in, um, as you know, as, as a species can, you know, can be handled. My fellow sophisticated creatives, welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. My name is Joanna, and uh, I'm just going to give you a little heads up. My little dog, Ozzy, is not feeling too well. I, uh, I woke up this morning, and he was laying on the floor, and I woke up because I could hear his stomach gurgling, which any animal owner knows that's not a good sign. So, uh... Later today, I'm going to go get him more probiotics, right? But yeah, so anyways, today I have literary author Colleen Van Nykirk. And I should have asked her ahead of time how to pronounce that last name. Sorry, Colleen. (laughs) Colleen Van Nykirk on the podcast. Colleen was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa, and now lives in Vancouver. We are going to talk about her amazing debut book, novel, A Conspiracy of Mothers, which I think should be made into a movie. And I also want to find out, Colleen, if it was... um, I, I, I read your book and I immediately thought, Geller. I really did. So, Colleen, <laughs> welcome, and I'm I am excited to talk about you. your book. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on, Jen. I appreciate it. Good. So, I don't know much about how books get accepted into the Geller the 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 Giller Prize, but I really did. I, I thought of your book, and I thought it should be in there. Did you? Did you? Have you thought? <laughs> thank about you. That? So, so yes. I mean, not not that I necessarily, you know, am am in in this for um for the awards, but uh, it would be nice. Let's put it that way. 
um, generally with traditional publishing, the publisher themselves and for awards like that, they have to do the submissions. So, you know, there's, we'll have some dialogue about, you know, what they think is suitable um, as we go forward into next year. But uh, yeah. it would be nice. So no, no one's going to sniff at <laughs> being on the shortlist for the gala. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first you're writing and how you put words together. I want to say it's poetic, but I think there's more, there's a beauty in how you, you, you put your words together in your writing. As I was reading, I thought, oh, I want to read this section. Then I thought, oh, no, now I want to read this section. And I just thought, okay. <laughs> okay. So right. your book is one of those books that you stay up late to finish. Now, if you could talk to me about the journey of this novel, um, because I know in the acknowledgments, you mentioned that it took a decade to write write a conspiracy of mothers so when did you start writing it and and why 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 what was the yeah the reasoning for it why suffer for a decade <laughs> <laughs> so it was interesting because you know in, in conversations and other readings that i've done for many people a decade is the average to you know to do the first novel and then you know everything else kind of goes from there um, once you kind of get you know once you kind of get to get that going yeah. for me there was sort of a twofold motivation for doing it um when my husband and I originally immigrated out of South Africa, we actually moved to the States and we lived there before we came into Canada. And it was such a dislocating experience. You know, there was, the, was this issue of really kind of dealing with, with leaving home and kind of figuring out, well, what, where are we now and what do we do? Yeah. Um, and we, which is, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not all negative. I want to, you know, be clear about that. There's a lot of positives to it, but there's no getting around the fact that, you know, we had left home. And we were now in a much bigger pond and, and trying to kind of navigate those waters. And I think part of um, part of what I wanted to kind of really understand is what home meant for me, uh, you know, looking back at South Africa and, and all the many things that we sort of take for granted. Any of us, you know, when you're in a situation, there are just things that are the way that they are and you don't think about them because that's that's the kind of the status quo. And I see that now in Canada with the many conversations around reconciliation and people, you know, people who had known the state of affairs for a long time and people are now sort of coming to that realization. It's the same, you know, it's the same reasoning that uh, that there are just these inbuilt um, things that you kind of contend with. And for me, that's that was part of what I wanted to understand about my own country. Why did we use the names for people that we did? Why did we live where we did? And kind of, you know, there's a bit of perspective that you gain outside of a country when you can look back in on it and, and you can see things differently yeah. um, that, you know, that I was afforded being out of it. And also just being serious about writing. I got into my 30s. I've been dabbling since, you know, since I was a kid with this. And it was one of these, you know, either just get this thing done and do a thing with it or just go and do something else. But you can't, you know, you can argy bargy only for so long. And at some point you just need to commit yourself to it. So. That was the other, the other reason it took a decade was because I had no idea how to write and I had to yeah. figure out how to do that. So yeah. that no, was that. The, the twofold one. And I understand that. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So you published this book through Little A, which is an imprint of Amazon Publishing. And so our listeners understand, because I was looking this up, this is different from self-publishing through Amazon. Um, so I was wondering what was the experience like working with Amazon publishing? Cause they are the publishers, right? Correct. Um, yep. And they also have the imprint Thomas and Mercer. So what, what was that mm -hmm. 
What, what was that like? Well, it was interesting because I think like, like many writers, you know, most of us, you think exactly that. You think self-publishing when you think Amazon. Uh, but they have several imprints. They have Montlake, as you mentioned, Thomas and Mercer. Many folks will know Robert Dugoni from the Surrey Writers Conference. He's a frequent presenter there and a very popular one. He's, you know, he's currently going to deal with Thomas and Mercer. So it was like, oh, there's, you know, there are all these. And they have several other imprints, you know, 47 North and so on. So it was, you know, I'd, I'd made the decision that I was not going to self-publish. I just didn't, you know, the, the, the juggling and I all the admiration in the world for folks to do that. But I was, you know, I was, that was not the road that I wanted to take with this one. Uh, so going through the process, you know, finding an agent and, and having them, you know, shop this around and see who was interested. You know, the acquisition editor at Little A was very enthusiastic about it and, and she sort of stepped forward. And the whole, you know, I have nothing really but good things to say about the entire process of working with the team. I think the reality of traditional publishing is, you know, all those steps from, you know, the, the multiple editing phases that you go through, substantive and copy and proofreading and cold reading and sensitivity reading, all of that. They shepherded the book through that very well. Um, I think a lot of folks have, you know, this this question of creative control. I never, it was never something that came to mind for me in, in the cycle. They were very respectful of how I wanted to tell the story and the language I wanted to use. Yeah. The only concession I made were a few words that Americans simply would not understand. And I was okay with making those changes because I wanted the book to be as accessible as possible to a North American audience and, and really everyone outside of South Africa. Okay. But it was it was a very positive process, and I was very grateful for the support that I got from from that entire team, and still have today as well. Excellent. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, so let's. Can you tell our listeners what a con, a conspiracy of mothers is about? <laughs> sure. So at at one you know at the simplest level. It's a story about a woman who is coming home. She had gone into exile. It wasn't political exile. It was, you know, you could argue whether it was self-imposed exile in the mid-70s in South Africa and the circumstances around that for her personally and for the country in general, you know, were, were, were difficult to put it mildly at the time. Uh, she gets to, you know, she, she's been outside of the country. It's 1994. So she's been out for almost two decades and, uh, you know, and she's drawn back home. The, you know, the, there are several complicating factors. Um, the primary one simply is that she had a child before she left, who she left as a newborn in her mother's care. So for her, part of this journey is also returning um, to find her daughter, which is not as simple as it sounds. Yeah. Um, you know, the conspiracy element of this is, you know, the who wants people to know about what, you know, the circumstances around her daughter's origins and, and who doesn't. And that kind of becomes this huge um, tug of war and a very physical um, journey uh, throughout the story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so... For you, how did it feel? And I hope none of I hope none of these questions sound really basic. Uh, it's a very moving novel, and there were times I found myself just getting angry, angry at the racism. Just so, yeah. How did it feel writing a novel during this time? So it's nineteen ninety four. South Africa is in political turmoil. And you, you write how the first democratic elections are on the horizon. And I felt that near the end when Yolanda and her daughter Ingrid are in line to vote, for me, that was such a lovely moment. Oh. So how did it feel writing about this time and you were still living in South Africa during this time, weren't you? Yeah, I was I was coming of age in, in the early 90s. So 
Yeah. Wow. So did it, did it, did it feel, I don't want to say good, but it did it. How, how did it feel? So you're writing it as an adult reflecting back mm. on that time. How did that feel? You know, it, it was interesting because it's so, so that period, you know, was extremely euphoric and, and there was a real, I think looking back on it now, people take for granted those events, you know, that, that, that day of the 27th of April, but there was nothing in the preceding years that indicated it was going to be a done deal. And I think, you know, we forget that. Uh, I think looking back now, South Africa certainly has challenges, you know, there's, there's no question um, now in the economic and the political and, you know, just at many different levels. But I think um, the the advantage of time and being able to reflect on that is realizing what is possible. If, if that could be achieved, then really anything, you know, regardless of the kind of crisis we're in, um, as, you know, as, as a species can, you know, can be handled. Uh, so it, it was, you know, it was certainly poignant, I think, to to remember, you know, where things were at a certain point in time and even, um, thinking about Cape Town as a city, which which is where I'm from in the 70s, was vastly different to what it is now. It was a sleepy little town. You know, you could, I rode my bike everywhere. It was just a very, um, it was a, it's a seaside town. So it was, you know, not as developed as it is now and not as cosmopolitan. Um, so it was a chance to kind of think back on that period as well. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, there's, I think the thing that that is one has to be careful of when you do this, you know, have this act of looking back on something is, is sentimentalizing it and kind of making it into something that, you know, back in the day, if only it was like this. Yeah. Um, but I think the relevance of that is it has relevance to us today. And we have to think about it in that light and think about how we move forward because you, you don't go back to where you were. That's, that's over. Um, but you need to take from it and figure out, you know, where do you go next? That's a good lesson. That's a really good lesson. You can't go back. Yeah. But take, take, yeah. Okay. Okay. So would you like to do a bit of a reading or would you prefer? Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And so, so our listeners know, um, Colleen is coming to us from inside her car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we both did yoga this morning and, and I did, I, I've started yoga because of the pandemic and I mm-hmm. meditated for 10 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. anyways, so please, please Colleen. Yeah. No worries. And I hope the sound is good despite the car. I'm trying to have yeah. my, not my lot of my children sort of, you know, bomb, bomb in and make a big noise. <laughs> so for those who don't know, um, this novel is written across a few different points of view. Uh, the, the protagonist really is the, the primary character here, Yolanda. She opens, but the passage I'm actually going to read is her mother's, uh, Rachel, is, is when we sort of first meet her. And she's, you know, she's significant to, to the story as well. White-haired and wiry, Rachel stood at her gate and squinted into the autumn light of the April evening. The turmeric and cumin of Cape Malay chicken curry hung in the air. The wind carried the saxophonic theme of the soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful, from the house next door, while swirling sand and chip packets on the street. A minibus taxi trailed by, its axle dragging beneath the weight of workers returning home. The evening shadow of Table Mountain's southern flank was already long, clouds hovering above. Rachel stood holding a letter while watching this ordinary world of her endless days. She took a deep breath. Today was different. Today she was resolute that she would not let this world consume her by lying quietly in the council house behind her and having a good death. She would not be at the mercy of the church sisters with their deferential hats, baked goods, 
prayer circles and floral funeral invitations, commending her greatest achievements, being the wife of the late George. God bless him, the church sisters would say. He was such a good man, hey, pity about her. And being the mother of three, but the youngest, Yolanda, she died in that car accident, they'd say. Strange business, not even a funeral. Rachel set aside the imaginary chatter. Funerals, weddings, births, life always found a way to move on and had done so throughout the decades she'd spent here on the Cape Flats. The stretch of reclaimed marshland, seeded with black and brown lives, sat adjacent to the sparkling peninsula city of Cape Town. In this community, Rachel was sometimes respected but always feared. As the wife of a church-going man, she sat alongside them all, another obedient colored waiting for the afterlife to vindicate the depredations of apartheid they had endured in this one, but that was over. And Rachel is a powerhouse. Oh, mm-hmm. all the women are strong, <laughs> are strong in their own way. And Rachel, right. oh my God. Yeah. So I'm wanting to know what the inspiration was behind this book. Um, how did it come together? Like, for instance, I write, you know, thriller novels, very different from what right. you, you write. You know, but it, it started with this idea of highlighting street nursing and mental health. Okay, that was like the core mm-hmm. idea. So did you have a core idea or theme or, or what was the like the inspiration? No, I, I think, you know, as, as a writer, I'm a pantser. I'm a complete, ooh, let's see what this what this idea is. And then let's see what that idea is. And do those two ideas go together? Oh, no, they don't. You know, and it's kind of that shuffling. I am, you know, and then at some point, outlines emerge and I, and I formalize it. Yeah. So so this was an amalgamation of ideas. It was a little bit like a snowball that started with one and then it grew. And it was really, you know, this this whole idea of, of home. Like all of these characters, every single one of them is wrestling with this core idea of, what does home mean for me? What does it look like? Even if they're physically never left, you know, their, their country or or kind of where they're from. So that it, it began with that. And it also sort of extended into wanting to kind of really look at the, you know, what, what had, what was apartheid and what was colonization in South Africa? Um, what did it really mean? What was the real impact of it in the lived experience of people, you know, that, that I might have seen or imagined, obviously, in, in the case of this novel. Um, so, so there was that. And I think the, the other thing that kind of came to the fore was when you boil all of that away, the thing that you're left with is shame. There's a huge amount of shame um, in, in, frankly, in many of us when we deal with issues of race and in many cases for folks dealing with gender as well. It's such an overlay that, you know, that we kind of carry. And I think when you look at it, you know, and, and kind of have some detachment and look at the whole thing that is there and that kind of emerged. I was writing, was like, well, this is actually very much the theme of this novel. So it was a blend, you know, of, of those things and wanting to really paint the picture as clearly as I could. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously an enormously emotional area, but, you know, wanting to say, this is what it really looks like if you if you boil it down to the essence of it and, um, you know, and build these characters around that. Okay, okay, oh, okay. Um, now, the dialogue, okay, Yolanda, she's black and her white boy, and she has her boyfriend, Stefan, and it's secret, right? It is so secret because mm-hmm. that, and that's what blew me away because my brother-in-law is white and he's married to my sister-in-law who's black and she's from right. 
St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And it's, you know, you write scenes in there where Yolanda is in the back seat hiding as her boyfriend's taking her home. You know, and it's just, it's just so wrong, okay? So, and Yolanda says this dialogue to Stefan, there, like in regards to their different dispositions. And I, if I could read this, I, I was actually able to narrow it down to like two that I wanted to read. So Yolanda is saying, and I, you were kind of coming, I'm coming into the, like some dialogue that was previously said. She goes, for you, the weight is what comes with the pull upwards, higher into the atmosphere where you can rule. For me, the weight is gravity, the push down into the dirt where us colored and blacks must grovel. I'm not supposed to dream. And I was wondering where did that passage come from? Is that, was that ever an actual conversation or? Wow. So no, it, it, it was not, um, but it kind of emerged as, you know, as two things. I think that is the undertone of what living under apartheid was like. That was the implied, you know, uh, assumption that that was there with every every interaction and it was orchestrated in that way um, okay. between you know between whites and frankly everyone else yeah. so you know I wanted to really deal with this relationship with the difficulties that it was there there was a tremendous amount of love obviously and passion but yeah. there were still two people coming from two very different worlds who had to be honest with each other about about those you know about the the, the, the severe challenges that were there and and what it meant and what each what, you know represented to the other which is obviously enormously, enormously painful for them as characters and, and you know, even more so for people who lived, you know, lived in those circumstances. Yeah. Sorry, Colleen, just one moment. All right. So there is another passage. Okay, when we are in Stefan's point of view. Now, he's Yolanda's white boyfriend, and they are keeping this relationship secret. And you write, so it's, it's, it's not his dialogue, but this is, it's, it's in, in his point of view. He didn't want to know anymore what his life or country was built upon. Because if that didn't matter, then Yolanda didn't, wouldn't matter. And I, I was actually even thinking about this this morning, knowing about this podcast. And I was wondering if Yolanda was almost symbolic or used as symbolism for South Africa. Mm -hmm. that, that's a really interesting perspective. And I thought, thought about that um, quite a bit. So I, I, think, I think that the Yolanda and Rachel probably at, a, at that kind of meta level are, because there's, you know, and, and one sees this with many women of color, you see it with women of color here as well. There's the sort of unspoken invisibleness around them, you know, that, that often is not, uh, they're not kind of brought into, into the mainstream and, and acknowledged as, as full people. So, so at a, at a certain level, it is that, but it also that, that way of thinking and the thing that really bedevils this man in the story is his own ignorance, is his own chosen ignorance, uh, which is completely supported by the circumstances that he was in. Um, so that, you know, I think that's something that all of us really should, should think about is what, what do you choose to know and what do you choose to set aside? You know, for him, 
the you know it, it's like one of these head exploding things if he if he went there and said this is what she meant to me you know as a man you know as a lover as a partner um it, it is the undoing of, of everything and that's you know and it's easier to just not go there i, I don't just don't want to know don't want to think about it i'm going to carry on which he does you know as as leaders will uncover for a very very long time yeah and like the women they go through so much and I don't want to say the word, well, I'll say hurt, but it's almost wounded. And I just started thinking about, God, it, it's, it's, an, it's a, a moving, moving novel. Great job. Thank I, you. It was really moving. <laughs> okay. Now, Yolanda, she leaves South Africa for reasons we don't want to give away. And she's involved with another man named Garrick. And he has his own demons, having served in, and he survived the Gulf War. And this passage, you know, he says, What home is for you depends on acceptance. What was gone is gone. You have to build something else. It's a kind of death. And, uh, you know, you did you feel this? Is this what you felt having left? It is. It, it, I think it, it certainly was. And I mean, I think, you know, in other other circumstances in life, create the same, you know, certain things die, certain ways that you were are kind of over. Um, and I think it took a long time immigrating to understand that, you know, a lot of us kind of wrap immigration in this. Well, you, you know, you must be so fortunate to have come here. And of course, that that applies. But there's also there's no. Um, you can't just sort of switch off, you know, the 30 odd years that you spent and grew up in and were, were formed in a different place. Uh, but you also can't extend that like that branch is, isn't there. You kind of carry what you can and you forge something new. So that, you know, that certainly was, was applicable. I think for Garrick, you know, he's, he, he himself is an interesting character. And I was sort of researching about military vets and, and just wanting to understand there was, you know, there was, and probably in some cases still is a huge epidemic of suicide amongst, uh, amongst vets and wanting to understand that and, and just thinking through, you know, what, um, what are they coming in with? And I think it's, it's in a very different context, a very jarring scenario of they have seen things that people around them cannot, and in some cases don't want to acknowledge. Yeah. And those things just don't gel um, within them and, and around them. And, and he obviously with, with that insight um, is speaking directly to that. He was such a, he was like a warm hug. <laughs> His character. <laughs> oh God. And you, you just, you, you do, you're rooting for Yolanda and it. Well, you're rooting for all of them. You have like, even though we have Stefan's attitude, like how he, he just doesn't see almost <laughs> what Yolanda and what she's going through. You do also have these male characters that are just they're there's they're just like they're they're great characters. And so that kind of leaves me into now tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. I'm just thinking my Dutch father-in-law used to pronounce all the J's as Y's. So is it Oh yeah, yeah. Is it Jan or <laughs> is it Jan? Yeah. Jan, okay. Yeah, yes. Okay. So 
there's this scene with Rachel, Yolanda's mother, and they're in a cave. And it's when Rachel grips Jan's hand and you write, it softens into his leopard tail as they go further into the mountain. So can you explain to the listeners who, what Jan really is? But he's, um, so in, in, you know, his function in the story is to operate as a spirit guide. And he, he has this ability to shapeshift. But I think even saying that completely sort of, you know, dampens down what he really is. Um, he, he kind of operates as this, you know, tie, very, very elemental tie back to ancestral and spiritual magic, which was as present in South Africa as, you know, as it has been in, in other places. And I think it's, it's one of the, one of those things that was very much dismantled and undone, um, you know, as, as not just apartheid, but as settlement kind of really came in, into place. So he's, you know, he's there to serve as the reminder of what was, and frankly, is, is you know, it will continue and, and remain. So that's something that, you know, that he kind of plays to, and he brings a certain wisdom and perspective of the ages, I think, into the story um, and, uh, and kind of grounds, you know, grounds everyone in that, in that world, which continues, it, it begins and, and it continues even after, you know, after the story is over. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Now, so much of what is in this novel applies today. Um, and that I, I just, I kept, uh, yeah, I, I just thought so much of it, you know, and um, when Rachel is attacked and Jan comes to her aid, you know, you write that her attacker, he gets transformed. And Rachel is wondering if he's attacking himself. And Rachel asks Jan if her attacker is destroying himself. And I, I love this. And, and Jan replies, that ma is the question. After all, anger and fear are two sides of the same coin. That is a mic drop moment. Okay. And I keep, I, I'm like, I wish more people would understand that. Okay. So your thoughts about that. Why, you know what? Yeah. You, yeah. Your thoughts about that. Why do you want that in there? Well, I think, you know, obviously in the, the sort of latter stages of working on this, you know, the the general dialogue, political discourse and just understanding of, of white supremacy and, and all these elements has kind of come to the fore. And it's just such a bloviated lot of noise. I think people need to understand exactly that. You know, it's there's a lot of reaction and a lot of non-understanding, I think. But if you understand that, you know, anger and fear and, and the extent to which it benefits everyone, or benefits no one, you know, to be to be more apt um, is is applicable. People need to kind of really think, take a step back from the noise, and and really just digest that. Yeah. So he's, you know, he doesn't. You'll note that he he doesn't say yes or no. He just yeah. says this is this is what I present and what I think. Um, and and you know, it leaves because the intent is to leave Rachel and to leave the reader 
uh, with that question, you know, I'll think about this and, and weigh it up and, and take away what, what you want to as a leader. I think that's the joy of leading is, you know, you infer from this what you wish. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's where he's coming from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm curious, have you visited Africa since you left? Yeah. So I, I have, I mean, I've, I've gone back a few times to, and, and I think folks need to remember, you know, Africa's there's, there's 50 odd countries, but South Africa's all the way in the South. I, you know, I, I still feel um, that I'm underexposed to the rest of Africa. And that's something that I need to remedy in my life is actually visiting more other countries. Um, but to South Africa, yes, you know, there's, the, you know, my family, friends and, and so on are still there. And it's always it's always an, oh, this is you know this is what the sun feels like. <laughs> this oh, is what yeah. a warm Christmas feels like. All those things you know when when one goes back there. Yeah, yeah. Because I swear, right now, I know it's probably only been what, nine days of steady rain, but it feels like forty days of heavy rain. And where are the animals lining up two by two? And right, you know. <laughs> You just kind of you, you hunker down like until February, really, and hope for the best. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So, have you always known you were a writer, you know, or was there any particular person? It doesn't even have to be a writer or a writer that inspired you. So, I, I, I've always written. And I think that's different to, you know, who I'm going to write today. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to become. I think it's just been there. And, um, you know, I have memories in, in school of writing and, you know, English essays and that kind of thing and, and that kind of carrying on um, and being a tween and, and, and onward. So it's something that I've always done. Um, but it's it's one of those things, you know, in, in the environment I grew up in, no one said, hey, you know, go and be an author. That wasn't a path, you know, for me. So it was something that was always on the side. Um, and, you know, it became a personal decision of, you know, no, actually, I'm, I'm going to do this. And this is, you know, this is where, where the work of this novel kind of came into being. But I, I would say that my first encounters with literature, I think, as, as an adolescent, was so positive. I read a huge amount of speculative fiction and, and science fiction and magic realism. And it really sort of, and, and other, you know, other writers um, as well, um, but, you know, with women's fiction and so on. But I, I think it was a sense of this is what is possible with the written word. You can build all of this stuff and you can create these, you know, these environments and lessons and characters and move people. And that has sort of stayed with me because I think that's the central act of storytelling is, you know, what is going to happen next? What's going to happen to this character? You know, you begin to kind of get drawn in. Yeah. And that, you know, if that's done well, I think that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, you, you've got it. Oh, you had me drawn in. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. So what's next, Colleen? Like, and I, I don't want to, you have, I don't want to forget you're on, is it the Western Wing? You're with Eric. Eric D'Souza's hosting oh. with Deborah Purdy. Oh, right, writers. Yeah, writers yeah. in our midst. Yes. Yes, so, we'll be there. Yeah. Okay. So you have some events coming up. So, but anyways, with your writing, what is next? Is there another writing, writing another book coming or? 
There is, yeah. And, and like I said to you earlier, I'm a pencil, so that, you know, all these ideas collide and so on. So probably about three or four years ago, you know, when this this novel was all right, this one is, you know, this one's moving, I can kind of um, start to kind of look at these other ideas in my mind. Um, there were a few that I've since picked apart and realized are actually three different books. So one of them I'm working on now, um, which is actually set in Canada, and it deals with the same question. Well, it deals with this question of, of what it means to be Black in, you know, for someone um, in this instance, uh, a teenage girl, she's an elite swimmer, um, but she's growing up in a, in a, as a minority in a situation where, you know, unlike the situation I grew up in where everyone was had the same kind of classification by race, that doesn't apply to her. So she's building her identity in, you know, in modern times with very different blocks and a very different understanding. Uh, so it, it deals, you know, in essence with that. And that's, that's in the works at the moment, at least at, at the drafting stage. I want you back on the podcast to talk about that one too, (laughs) you know, because, you know, there were so many things with this book, which, like I said, I, you know, there's a scene where the police just march into Rachel's house. And I just thought, like I said, I'm getting angry and I'm, and just no, no, no explanation. They just march on in. And I'm just like, So, okay, okay. Yeah, no, definitely. I If if this isn't too bad of an experience, <laughs> I would love to have you back Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll be my pleasure. Good, good. So any final thoughts? Like I say, any um, events coming up you want to talk about or final thoughts? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So as as you mentioned uh, with, with Eric, um, who's always been a great, you know, member of the writing community, uh, we have a, a couple of writers in our midst events coming up. Um, yeah. There's a virtual a virtual discussion, two of them, well, both of them virtual. Um, one just talking with myself and Deborah um, and Eric and Claire about how you you know creating strong female characters. Just sort of a dialogue around that. Yeah. Uh, that's e, the 18th of November, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, we, we we'll also do a bit of a reading at the next you know first of December at Writers in Our Midst as well. So that Facebook page would have all that information. Um, I do have an in-person book launch coming up in downtown Vancouver, which is nice. It's going to be nice to actually see people um, at Massey Arts, not Massey Books, but Massey Arts at their gallery. And that'll be Thursday, December 2nd um, at 6 p.m. So anyone is welcome. It's free. You know, if you want to do a bit of a giveaway as well, a gift card to Massey Arts and, and a hardcover copy of the book too. You want to hear about it you know come and chat about it meet other folks um, and support massey arts and massey books come on in and and join us that sounds like a great event that'll be a great event awesome yeah yeah so do you have like social media links or that people could find you i do i do i you know i'm i'm on all of them um my my facebook page uh, colin van niekirk so to your, to your original question van niekirk is fine in South Africa, funny Kirk is how you would say it. It is okay. Van Nykirk is okay. I, you know, I don't throw my toys at that <laughs> pronunciation. That's all right. Um, so I'm on Facebook um, and on Twitter as Colleen Writer and on Instagram as Colleen Author. Colleen Writer, Colleen Author. Okay. Okay. Colleen Author. I'm just scribbling these down here. Okay. No worries. And I, I can send them to you as well, Joanna. Okay. Okay. Well, Colleen, this has been a blast. Um, it's it's a fantastic book. And uh, you. gosh, you know, it, it's one of those books that you remember. Okay. So, <laughs> I really do, I, I'm interested. I'm very curious to see, you know, your next one. And, you know, 
I'm going to be around. I'll give you a heads up when that one's looking like, you know, looking like it's, it's moving forward for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thank you, Colleen. No worries. Thanks so much.